Welcome back to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. My name is Michael Falk, and I'm joined today by Brett Firstel, our leading ACL rehab expert at Kinetic Sports Medicine and Performance. We are going to dive into the early stage of ACL rehab, try to answer some questions that we got online, and go through some of the do's and the don'ts of this early stage of rehab. So, Brett, welcome back to the podcast. How's everything going today? Going well, happy to be here, excited to roll through some of these and help some people out. Awesome. So let's just start with the basics. Um, let's define what, when you and I talk about the early stage of rehab, um, what time frames are we talking about here? I think it's always relatively vague depending on the person you're talking to, but I'd say in general it's around, at least I define it as like the point where they're consistently walking. So right from surgery to the point that they can start walking, I'd say is the early stage when we're dealing with all of the surgical repercussions and building through that once they can kind of do basic stuff like walking, which is a huge end accomplishment. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. And I think you're kind of leading us into the, into the next phase before we ever start going. Like um, Brett and I typically don't like to talk about time frames with stages. Um, you know, if we were to give rough guidelines, we're going to say somewhere in the week zero to eight to 12 range here, but it's so different based on every individual person, what exact surgery they had going on, what rehab approach. There's some people that don't even start rehab for like four to six weeks, which is crazy. But, um, you know, with that, it's going to be a way longer time frame. So we're not trying to be evasive on the time frame question. It's just we don't view rehab that way. We view it off of criteria. So um, the two like endpoints, as what Brett's saying, is sort of like have surgery and consistent safe walking um, would be our two main like you know uh, parameters of this early stage. Mm-hmm. So what kind of um, like goals or criteria might you be um, looking for by the end of this phase? Like where, what, where, where might they start and then how far do we want to get them by that walking time frame? Yeah, so I'll kind of go by the, the end goals right off the bat. And initial ones that I set for people and I kind of have for myself because I think it's crucial to hit the main goal of walking and walking really well and doing like your daily life stuff is they should have what I'll term like a quiet mean. A lot of people talk about that, which is pain is pretty well under controlled. Their swelling is maybe there a little bit, but again, it's very well managed both in like an instance and how does it swell after an activity and that it doesn't burst into a big balloon. Um, range of motion, at least in terms of straightening, is fully there. Um, and again, it's relatively comfortable. Bending might not be all the way there, but I would say minimum. 90 degrees for the most part that they can bend relatively comfortably but maybe not to what the other side is and that they can have good quad function which is the muscle right on their thigh and that's a big target right after any knee surgery but especially ACLs is it's really challenging to get it to work well so if we hit all those criteria I'm usually pretty happy that the early stages were done well Um, and then if we kind of back off of right away after surgery those are end goals that are challenging because a surgery and the actual injury itself, there's a lot of trauma to the knee. So there's a lot of things that fight against it. There's both the incision that we want to deal with, the quad, the muscle right on the thigh does not work well at all, or sometimes they can't get the muscle to work, period. 
Um, and then range of motion is very limited because there's usually a lot of pain. There's quite a lot of swelling from the surgery and the injury still. So we need to work to calm those down. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And um, we'll, I'm sure we'll dive into it a little more, but I think one of the, my favorite parts about this early stage of the rehab is those three main things that you talked about. So if we look at what does it take to walk, you need quad function, you need range of motion, especially straightening. Like if you can't get your knee straight, you're not gonna have a normal gait. Um, and then swelling, to get full range of motion and your quad to fire, you need the swelling to be gone. So they all work together. Like as the quad fires, it helps, helps move fluid. As the knee gets straight, it helps the quad fire. As the quad fire, it helps straighten the knee. Like we're literally probably doing like the same three things um, for a frustratingly long period of time for the client, but it's because they're so important and every single one of those things is helping improve the other ones, which is helping us get to walk. So it really ties in for those of us that like neat little packages. <laughs> it really works well together. And like you mentioned, like they're usually boring. People hate doing these things. But if you don't set this foundation, you set yourself up for failure, a lot of heartache later on. So these are crucial in that you can't necessarily get crazy ahead really early, but you can set yourself up that you could be very delayed later on if you don't check these boxes off. Yeah, I mean, I've had several, and I'm sure you have too, where we'll get some of the ACL people will come and work with us at six months, seven months, um, kind of as they're trying to get ready to go back into their sport, and we'll talk to them on the phone, sounds like they're doing really well. They'll come in, knees not straight, they are still carrying some level of swelling in their knee, and I'm like, in quad strength's way down, and I'm just like, we we can't get you ready for your sport. Like, I, you know, the more we push you, the more your knee's gonna swell. We just, we don't have a solid foundation of your rehab, and I don't wanna say we can't help you, we can, but we have to go backwards and mm -hmm. it's not gonna get you ready to go do those things. So yeah, just take care of these things in these first eight weeks um, and it's gonna make everything else go smoothly. So with all that being said, when would you, if you could pick a time that you would like to see someone after surgery, when would you like to see somebody to start PT? For me, the sooner the better, um, but knowing that everyone behaves a little bit differently after surgery. Um, I've had some people come in pretty early and this is their first surgery ever, so they didn't know what to expect. And they're either very lightheaded or they just feel ill or a little nauseous. I'd wait for all those to kind of subside so they can give their full attention and the most effort they can into what we're doing, which is usually within the first week. Usually the first few days, a little bit hit or miss, especially if you're on some medications to help with the swelling and the pain too. Um, so once we kind of get out of that fog as soon as possible, um, and the sooner the better. Yeah. No, and obviously every doctor has their own criteria, and so we never recommend you not follow what your doctor is doing. But um, if they're telling you three, four, five weeks before you start therapy, I would really have a conversation about why that is. Um, my perspective on this is a little biased because of the settings that I grew up working in, where like when I was... A, working for a, on a team, some medical staff, we had several people that had ACL surgery in the morning and then they were in for afternoon treatments in the training room like the same day. Um, and so that was what I was used to. And then when I started going into you know, outpatient settings, it would be these longer durations and timeframes. And um, yeah, everyone's a little bit different. I agree with everything Brett said. It's definitely a communication point with your surgeon. but. 
we will see you as soon as you are comfortable coming into the office to be seen because there's stuff that we can do right off the bat. Um, I think it's actually one of the things that's beneficial about having people come and work with us for a little bit before surgery is that we can actually cover, these are the things that we want you to do during these first three, four days after surgery before you come into our office so that these things can get going right off the bat. Yeah, and a lot of times too is the sessions that we have are often an hour long. We Like that first session, we might not spend an hour long trying to treat the knee that just had surgery. There's a lot of education pieces and questions that people have, so it's a chance for us to answer those. It's also a chance to try to educate and teach what other things can you do with the rest of your body while you're trying to heal that knee. Because all of that is part of the rehab and it shouldn't be neglected, even though you just had surgery on the knee, which is a big emphasis. The rest of your body still needs to do work and train if your goal is to get back to doing something, especially that's relatively high level. Yeah. The famous, like, Brett Furstall seated upper body uh, <laughs> strength training circuits that uh, um, you can get started on right away um, after your ACL surgery, too. Mm-hmm. So, all right, well, let's start getting a little bit more specific to try to help some people out. Um, so let's kind of go through these major points that we've talked about, which are swelling, range of motion, getting your quad back on, and then finally walking, basically. So. Let's start with swelling. What? How do you get swelling down after surgery? So I think it's both a combination of things you should do and things you shouldn't do. Um, the things that you can do and should do is generally after surgery, you're gonna have some type of a compression wrap or bandage. Keeping that on to have some compression is really, really helpful. The other side of it is trying to keep your leg elevated above heart height. It's just trying to help gravity assist fluid and move out of the knee. And then I like to do a lot of things too called like ankle pumps or quad sets, basically trying to get the muscles in your leg to contract just to help again push that fluid. And then the things that you shouldn't do is try to do too much too soon because if you're doing all of the right things but then you do some of the wrong things, it's an uphill battle in terms of say you try walking when you're maybe not supposed to or you try bending it and forcing things that are not comfortable, it's probably gonna make the knee feel pretty uncomfortable and swell more. So we want to make sure that we are protecting it and not doing more harm than good when you're trying to get rid of the swelling. Yeah, you know, your your body is what clears swelling ultimately. It's so the whole goal is if we can get the fluid in your knee back up closer to your heart, your body is going to reabsorb it, and that's it's not like it's not like it goes anywhere. It's not like we you know we can just get rid of it or something like that. Um, and honestly, pain and swelling in these early phases are are protective it's you just had a major surgery you have bones and screws and new ligaments that are going on they've cut pieces out Um, you've had somebody fiddling around in one of your joints and so you know not pushing through pain not pushing into some of these things right off the bat and that is different from don't do anything like that's not what we're saying too because that will cause its own problems but listening to the feedback and just being gradual and being okay with rather than if the goal that Brett says to get 90 degrees of knee bending by, you know, six weeks, whatever the case may be. And, um, we don't have to get to 90 degrees on day one, right? It's okay to go from five degrees to seven degrees to 10 degrees day by day and make these small steps versus trying to force it. I think that's one of the big things that we'll see is like, we'll get swelling looking better, swelling looking better, and then someone will go do something dumb 
and then they will come back and the swelling is back and we're starting at square one. Mm-hmm. So. Or the other thing that I see a lot often, especially with kids that are starting back in school soon, is they have their first day at school when they've been laying on the couch a lot of the times and now their legs on the ground because they're sitting most of the day, they're having to get up and go between classes and that was just a lot more activity or different activity than they were used to and their knee of course is a little bit more swollen. So it's those instances or what are strategies we can do, albeit that your schedule changed, that minimize that from happening and we don't go to school maybe for a full day right away, it might be a half day or whatever you can tolerate, but that's all in a means to kind of help that early process. Yeah, so no, I, uh, I agree. So swelling, kind of the key points, compression, elevation, like muscle activity, if you will. So quad sets and ankle pumps, just getting everything around that joint, kind of working and trying to pump that fluid back towards your heart. And then, um, you know, ice, things like that, definitely not gonna hurt anything, especially the first few hours after surgery and first day, um, it'll definitely kind of help with that. Um, And then not creating more swelling by doing too much too soon or things that you're not supposed to be doing. And I think if you can stick to that, you're going to see that swelling go down on its own pretty naturally within those first several weeks. Again, it might take a while for it to leave your joint completely, but be at a pretty manageable level there. Mm-hmm. So, all right, I think we, we definitely hammered the swelling side. Um, let's dive into range of motion. So what are the keys? You kind of mentioned earlier um, knee straightening is probably more of important in this early phase than knee bending. Why, why is that? A lot of reasons. And some of the biggest ones are it can be harder to get back if it's not regained relatively quickly. But also if we don't get our knee fully straight, it makes a lot of other things a lot harder. Like we already mentioned, we'll probably get to a lot more getting the quad to work the best as possible. If you don't get your knee straight, generally that quad is harder to get it to work. And then even later on, why do we want the quad to work? It's to do more functional things like walking as an example. So if you don't lay that foundation with range of motion first, later on the things that we add on become harder and harder. And then even in long terms, if you don't get that knee straight, can sometimes be a risk factor for um, scar tissue to form. And then that can be a problem down the road too, that there's now pain in the knee or something that could have to go back in for potential surgery. So there's really realistically a lot of reasons Um, for why we really stress getting full straightening back, um, or at least to zero initially to within comfort. Um, And those are a lot of them. Um, So straightening is a huge goal right off the bat. It's usually one I really try to hammer on because knee is not comfortable right after surgery. A lot of times people find themselves that it's really comfortable position if they lay down and they put some cushion underneath their knee, in which case their knee is gonna be slightly bent, which inherently is a comfortable position. But say you did that for a week straight simply because it was comfortable and you didn't know otherwise. Maybe you have that first PT appointment and you're trying to work on getting your knee straight now. Now it's a lot harder and really, really stiff and much more uncomfortable than maybe it otherwise would have been. So, and this is again, taking with a a grain of salt, it's all individualized, taking within a comfort zone. Um, But if we can just sit with the knee straight, that's gonna be a great way to kind of just keep it there. Yeah. Yeah, it's just resting. A lot of times what we call it is like a heel prop position where if you're going to be on the couch, just getting that knee kind of up on the, or getting your foot up on a, uh, on like the arm of the couch where rather than resting with something under it, you're having it just sort of hang in that straight position. 
doesn't have to be super long right off the bat, but every you know half hour, 20 minutes, whatever it is, letting it get in that straight position, then giving yourself a little rest, having it be bent, but just working on that. And kind of one of the things in this early phase is it's small little efforts consistently over time versus like one large big effort that is going to really move the needle on that one. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of consistency with a lot of these things, but for me, range of motion's way up there. Plus, if anyone's been through this, you probably understand that if someone were to tell you to do the heel prop, it gets pretty uncomfortable after a certain period of time. So if we take these mini breaks and switch it off with letting your knee rest in a bent position, or maybe we do some other things that do work on the bending and just intermix them together. In general, we're not really pushing through a lot of discomfort, but you're getting a lot of exposure towards those range of motions. Yeah. So, and again, uh, I forget which one of my mentors said it to me early on, but um, I think it's probably Sherry Walters, but is a straight knee is a happy knee. If we can get your knee straight, it's going to help with the swelling. Um, it's going to help make sure we don't get any scar tissue that uh, will eventually limit that range of motion almost permanently. It's going to help get that quad back on. And bending, we, it is important. It's not that we're not working on bending, but we can work on bending all the way through the nine month mark if we have to, like it will always come back. The straightening, we do reach a point that if we don't get your knee straight, we will not get your knee straight without another surgical um, intervention. And no one, it, it happens sometimes, no matter how good a job you do, but um, we wanna make sure we do everything in our power to, to help you not have to go through that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what about with bending, even though, it's, even though it's not as important as straightening, it is still a, a big goal early on and, and something that if we don't work on, it'll affect gait patterns and stuff like that as well. Do you have any kind of favorite exercises for working on bending? Yeah, especially in the early stages. As kind of mentioned before, I'm a big fan of frequency and not necessarily pushing. So I like a big, it's an easy one, but heel slides. So if you've ever heard of that or you can kind of see what it is, there's a lot of ways you can do it. As simple as laying on the floor and either using the leg yourself or maybe assisting with your hand or a belt around your ankle, or you basically try to slide that heel up towards your butt and then let, let it straighten. And I'm personally a big fan of doing repetitions of this rather than holding it at a bent position for a long period and then trying to go further and further, simply because most people think it's a little bit more comfortable. And we're, again, we're getting more muscles to contract in fluid flow, which is another benefit for it. So usually in terms of comfort and what people actually do, repetitions usually the best one. Um, and then positionally, it's always based on each person and what's the most comfortable or if they're all comfortable, a variety is great. So I mentioned the one where you sit on the floor and just kind of slide your heel that way. You could sit in a chair and do the exact same thing and try to slide your heel underneath the chair. Um, You could be lying on your back with your leg up on a wall even potentially and let gravity kind of just pull that leg down. All of these are basically getting at the exact same thing, but for some reason, certain ones could feel far more comfortable, in which case I usually recommend, we'll do that one more. You don't need to force the ones that don't feel comfortable, but otherwise try to get a variety in over time too. Yeah. No, absolutely. And then, um, you know, Brett kind of mentioned it with the pushing, but especially with the bending, you know, push till you feel a little bit of a stretch, but don't push into pain. Because if you're pushing into pain on the bending in this early phase, you're just going to make your knee swell and you're really going to inhibit your progress because the swelling is probably the limiting factor at this point that's restricting your range of motion in both directions is because you have a lot of fluid in your knee. And so if we're causing pain, causing more swelling, we're 
honestly setting ourselves backwards, even though we're working on range of motion, we're probably net having a negative effect if we're pushing into like pain and discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, other than the pushing into pain, any other like don'ts with regaining the range of motion? I might have specific rules based off of if someone had a specific surgery and we don't want to overdo something the surgeon recommended or a specific surgery they did have that if we force bending maybe past a certain degree, it could place stress on that surgical repair more so. So I've had some people that are pretty much loose right off the bat and they exceed where they should be from a restrictions standpoint purely because they had a specific surgery. So sometimes if that is the case, there is guidelines you don't want to initially push to. In which case, I'll usually just tell them to get up to the point, especially if they don't feel anything, and let's do that quite a lot. So it's feeling loose, but we're not pushing past certain boundaries that could be a little bit more risky in terms of protecting the knee. Yeah. No, I, I think, uh, again, you know, the, the only don'ts is just like not doing it consistently. <laughs> you know, I think it, it's um, the ones that are really tough are the people that just sit with that knee bent slightly for eight or 10, 12 hours a day while they're on the couch at home. And then obviously when you sleep at night, it's probably gonna be bent. And those get to be just not not fun for anybody, honestly, because eventually we do have to push so that we don't have setbacks. It gets to be uncomfortable, um, just goes really slow. We're not happy, you're not happy. So um, just small, I'd rather have you do, you know, 30 seconds a thousand times a day rather than you know 30 minutes once a day um, with working on the range of motion so all right so just to sum that one up extensions probably more more important than flexion not not saying flexion is not important but straightening is more important than bending in this early phase Mm -hmm. Um, not pushing into pain and doing it frequently more than just once a day for a longer period of time are probably your keys there and then circling back to the swelling getting the swelling down will help your range of motion so this is where they really start to go hand in hand now for the fun one and anyone that's ever gone through ACL really any type of knee surgery um, you probably woke up from surgery and literally your quad muscle on the front of your thigh just wouldn't turn on it won't work it's one of the weirdest feelings ever for people it's kind of scary and weird you just have this you know flabby muscle essentially that won't work or turn on so um do you have any insight for people on why that is and and why that happens yeah so in general like one of one of the reasons is from the surgery alone to try to make it more comfortable um, after the surgery, sometimes they'll do a nerve block, which just affects the nerve that supplies the quad muscle. So when they put that nerve block in, you simply can't have the output to make the muscle work. That does wear off over time, and so you should regain the function theoretically. But then your body has all these other protective mechanisms, essentially, from the trauma, the injury, and the surgery that don't want the quad muscle to work purely to protect it. So it's our job in rehab and PT to try to fight that because your body doesn't know it had the surgery to restabilize your knee. So we need to reteach it that it's okay to do certain things progressively over time. And that's one of the big reasons why. So we have a lot of tools that I'm sure we're gonna get to and exercises and drills we can get to to try to reteach that motor plan and motor output to get the muscle to work essentially. Or the way I describe it is 
there's a fog between the connection in your brain and the muscle because of all of those reasons, the swelling, the injury, the surgery itself. And it's our job to try to clear that fog over time so that connection is really fast and it's really robust and strong. I think that's great. If you want the fancy term, I think the fog is the easy way to understand it, but it's called, called arthrogenic muscle inhibition. It makes you sound really smart at a party <laughs> um, to, to explain it that way. So, all right, let's dive into the details. Do you have any favorite exercises to get that quad to start turning back on? Yeah, so first, I can't neglect what we've already talked about. It's kind of getting those basics down. So we need to get make sure swelling is as good as possible, getting our knees straight, and then we can kind of visit the point of what can we do specifically to get the quad muscle to work. And the easiest one, which I think goes a long way, is something called quad sets, which you literally just sit there with your leg pretty straight and you're trying to get your muscle to contract by just squeezing it. So there's a lot of strategies now at this point that we can use to try to get it. Some of them jive with people really well, some of them not. So it's our job to expose you to those strategies figure out which ones work for you really well, do those as many as possible, and then the ones that were hard, we still do, because we want to get your quad to contract in a myriad, a lot of different ways. Um, so quad sets is a very first one, um, and I do that different ways too. You can do it laying on a table or on the ground with your leg out straight, simply just try to contract your leg. Sometimes your intent behind how you do it matters, so instead of thinking, I'm gonna get my muscle to contract, you can put an object maybe behind your knee and you gotta think, now I gotta drive my knee down into that pad or whatever it might be. Or the other side of it too, is as you're laying flat with your leg straight, maybe you try to think of, I wanna try to get my heel to lift off of the ground, which is gonna get my knee to contract too. Um, now, one thing I think is really, really valuable in clearing up that fog is something called NMES, or neuromuscular electrical stimulation, which are basically this little set we use that we put electrodes on the muscle, it sends an electric current to it to try to help get that muscle to contract so that when you feel that muscle contract as you're actively trying to do it yourself in combination it's trying to do it together you do that with reps on reps on reps it's eventually going to clear that fog a little bit better and get a little easier to do it completely on your own with really good quality yeah no, i agree completely i think the only other thing that I'll, i've added sometimes in in the past is when we look at why does quad activity matter and when is it used, um, really in walking, it's one of the muscles that prevents your knee from buckling. There's, there's ways to walk without having quad activity. Um, it's not healthy for your knee, but you know, to have a normal gait, um, your quad is what doesn't let your knee just collapse and buckle. And so sometimes if we're really having a hard time with someone, I will actually incorporate some safe weight bearing um, with a quad set, whether it be up against a wall or with a band resistance. But sometimes um, I've found that using like how the muscle works um, in terms of supporting body weight almost like gets the brain to re help re-kick it back on um, as, as we go, especially some people just have a really hard time. There's some people that comes back right away as soon as swelling goes down, as soon as knee gets straight. It's like bang I can turn my quad back on there's other people that it's like pulling teeth we're in week three and we cannot get this unless we're using the electrical stim that Brett was talking about we just cannot get um, what we call volitional or like the, the person to be able to control it themselves um, and then sometimes using weight bearing in a safe position um, with supervision and usually crutches involved and stuff like that so there's no falls um, but 
can have found to be helpful if you're really having a hard time with it. Yeah. On top of that, someone is a bridge between getting to the weight bearing that a lot of people I found have had success with is I call it kind of like a leg press, but if you simply just have like an exercise ball and you're sitting down and you try to push straight into it, you're trying to work on that same concept of how does my quad work when I function and do like walking or other things. And sometimes that is, oh, it clicked for me. And once you get that light bulb moment of it clicks, a lot of these other things can kind of fall in place. And now we can do them even better and then continue to build. Yeah. And then the other one, and I don't know when we want to tackle the elephant in the room here, because we got multiple questions about it from Instagram. Um, and it was something that we we're going to talk about anyways. I was going to bring it up a little later, but uh, knee extensions are a great it's the best exercise to start isolating quad strength. There was a period of time back when I was an undergrad even that we were told and taught knee extensions were dangerous for ACL rehab. And it's really not true. There's actually significantly less stress than even walking on the ACL graft, especially when your uh, knee is in a bent position. So um, once you can get to a comfortable degree of knee bending below kind of 60 degrees of bent, almost to 90 degrees of bent, preferably. Um, you know, doing some isometric, low-level, pain threshold controlled um, knee extensions can be a great way to start getting that quad to turn on, where it's almost like that quad set, you're just pushing into either the floor or a wall or somebody's hand. There's a bunch of different ways to do it. There's no actual motion at the knee, um, but we found that to be helpful as well in this early phase to get that quad to start turning back on. Mm -hmm. um, and again, totally safe, assuming you're doing it in the correct position and you're listening to your body, yeah. right? And that's one of the things that I think you're gonna keep hitting on here is um, we would never have somebody do a 400 pound knee extension on day one like that would be silly and yes that's probably I don't know if it's dangerous it's definitely not smart um, but when you push into like okay this is starting to get uncomfortable that's really all I'm going to do today um, it's going to be self-limiting that pain response is there as kind of the fire alarm going off saying like okay this is enough this is about all I can tolerate let's not do any more than this right now and if we follow those, we're never going to do any, um, you're never going to hurt yourself. You're never going to take yourself too hard if you, or too far if you just listen to the feedback that your knee and your body's giving you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like to use them pretty much as early as, as they can comfortably get into certain positions. And then we progress them accordingly, just like we try to progress any other exercise that we do. Within a tolerable comfort level, are they checking the boxes off that they did it well? And then can we take that next step forward? And it's always these small steps. We're not taking giant leaps every time we do move forward, but I've probably included them with every single ACL that I have seen in a good progressive way. Yeah, absolutely. Any don'ts with the quad um, and getting it to turn back on? Outside of listening to your body, like don't push through pain yeah. is probably my only one. Because um, if we're talking like the ACL, depending on what you're doing, you're probably okay with certain quad-based exercises. Um, but you gotta know that there's other stuff that went on with your surgery. For example, if you had your grafts taken from your patellar tendon, if you were to just disregard what your body's telling you in terms of pain, theoretically you could push hard enough that you could potentially injure that site too, or other things at play. So 
just listen to your body and don't push through pain is probably my biggest one. Yeah. And I think on the same side of like, don't do the exercises infrequently. Yeah. So do them really frequently. Listen to your body. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think we, we sort of presented this hopefully in an order that we find it to be helpful too. If you can't get your knee straight and you're working on these quad sets that Brett's talking about, you're probably not going to have a lot of luck because literally your quad won't work if it's if your knee's swollen, if it won't get straight, you're going to have a really hard time getting that quad to turn on. And so I guess it's also just like not skipping steps and not disregarding the knee swelling and the knee straightening um, in line with or before. Again, you're kind of working on them all together, but uh, making sure we're addressing those underlying kind of foundational factors as we go here. So... All right, so those are, the, those are kind of the initial three goals. Swellings down, range of motion, for sure, full straightening, um, at least 90 degrees of bending, if not better, and um, getting good, what we'd call volitional, or self, you're able to control your quad by yourself, um, and kind of on cue and on demand whenever you need to. Those are the three foundational pieces. That basically starts to set us up for walking. Um, and in my opinion, if we don't have those three things, you shouldn't really be trying to walk, even if the protocol from your surgeon says you can walk with no crutches after three days. That's fine, but if you can't straighten your knee, you don't have quad control, and you're still really, really swollen, you're probably A, wasting your time, be setting yourself back by just causing more issues, t- learning bad habits. Um, so once we get into walking, where wh- is there anything else that you look for before people start to try to do walking without crutches? Initially, that's probably my biggest one, but once we start to do the process of walking, it's not just, okay, you pass those, let's get rid of your crutches. If you're wearing a brace, let's get rid of your brace and you start walking. There's now a lot of other baby steps that we do want to check off before we officially start walking. So like, you need to be able to be comfortable putting full weight through that leg. If you're going to walk without crutches, there's ways to do it with crutches if we wanted to get on that too, but you need to be comfortable putting weight through your leg. So... I guess one thing that I have seen is it's good that you have good quad control, but you have to be able to do it in the specific scenario of walking or weight bearing too, which sometimes can be different for people. So I would say that is one of them too, Um, but really it's a host of drills that we work on to build the return to walking process. Yeah. Do you have, uh, do you have any like keys or favorite cues or techniques as people start trying to get back into walking and that you like to use to, to work on? Yeah, um, it is in general pretty individualized, but a lot of people fit similar buckets in terms of what they struggle with. And usually one of the big ones is right when my foot hits the ground as I'm walking, what does my leg look like and what do I do? Because a lot of times they will start bending earlier than they should simply because it's a little bit easier. It's challenging to control your knee as it hits the ground and be relatively straight. Um, so I like to work on drills that focus on that exact motion, which we kind of hinted at, at some of them, but simply just like weight shifting is what I'll do. Forward, backwards, even side to side a little bit, and just getting your body awareness of what does it feel like when my foot's in contact with the ground? What does my body have to do to make sure I don't buckle and fall over? Once we get past the point of being able to do weight shifts, 
Sometimes I might add in like a small step with it or like one step through and then we step back. Sometimes again, it's with crutches. Sometimes it's not, it completely depends on the person. Um, and then on top of that too, it sounds somewhat out of whack, but I like to work on backwards walking skills that help ingrain some of the forward walking components that we work on. Um, and sometimes it's a drill that focuses on getting your knee straighter. Sometimes it's a drill that focuses on getting the quad to contract while the knee is straight. Um, but outside of that, it's as simple as weight shifts. We might do some backwards walking. Sometimes hurdles are a great goal because the other thing that people tend to struggle with is, especially if it's relatively stiff or they haven't bent it a lot, you do need your leg to bend in order to clear the ground so you don't trip over your toes. So we need to be able to work on lifting and clearing the leg over without being super robotic and mechanical because walking is something we've been doing since we were probably one, two years old, somewhere in that range, hopefully by two to say the least. So you've been doing it for a long time and this is the first time, unless you've had a previous injury, that you're having to focus on what you're doing and kind of relearn what does walking even look like and feel like. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I like using the backwards walking too, especially um, one of the things that I think we see a lot is just people that kind of walk on a bent knee. They don't want to get that knee straight. Um, again, we don't want to see you hyperextending your knee while you're walking. Like if you look around, you're not seeing people go past straight, but if you just watch somebody walk, both legs are straight when they're weight bearing through the ground. It's just the most efficient way to keep stress off your kneecap and the structure in the front of your knee. And again, a straight knee is a happy knee when it's kind of in that position. So I think backwards walking can be really helpful for that. Once we've progressed, like at least where they can comfortably balance on one leg, things like that, I really like exaggerating the pattern. So maybe with hurdles, maybe just with some type of marching drill. Um, and what I'll typically have people do is they're still probably walking around in their daily life on crutches and with their brace. And walking starts as an exercise that you're doing at home on a level surface with no distractions, with no risk that your friends are gonna come and like tip you over. Um, but it starts out as an exercise, just like our quad sets, um, before you get to go out in the real world on uneven surfaces with curbs and people and having to get across a crosswalk or to hustle to a class. Um, and so I kind of break it up where like initially, walking is a drill and it's an exercise and I like to exaggerate it with like these marching. I think it helps get the brain to like remember those sequence of events. Um, and then we gradually start progressing from there. And I like to see people progress slowly, both in duration of walking, which Brett has hit on before, of not just ditching the crutches once and for all, but we might initially ditch the crutches at home where you can walk to the kitchen and the couch and to your bedroom without crutches and then start kind of expanding to larger crowds, more walking, larger distances, more time. Um, with the goal being to not have your knee swell up as we start walking more and more. Mm -hmm. One thing I'm just going to bring up, because I'm sure most people have questions and I get asked probably every single time someone comes in, is like, when can I walk? And to that, I'll say it right now and I tell everyone the same thing, is it depends on all these other factors we've talked about. The timeline, you might have a goal for it, but if you don't hit it, it's not worth rushing it. So it's always better to hit these with quality before just skipping that next step because compensations can happen really early and then they're hard to get away from. 
So I've seen someone genuinely walk pretty well a week after surgery, which is the earliest and up to eight weeks. And neither one was better than the other. It just was a little bit different surgery. Everyone is their same or different circumstances. So they all achieved those goals just at different time frames. And then at the end of the day, they still got to back to doing what they wanted to do at around the same time at the quality they liked. So at the end, it really didn't matter, but it can vary a lot. Depends on the surgery, depends on you, but don't skip steps before you actually truly start. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. Like, if you skip steps, if you start walking and your knee's swollen, if you start walking and you haven't and you can't get your knee straight, you are going to build this bad habit of walking that now is going to be way harder to break with these drills, and you're going to be walking on this bent knee, which is going to start giving you a bunch of patellofemoral pain, which then is going to make your knee swell. And all of a sudden, all the swelling and time and effort we put into your quad tone and straightening, we're going to lose all of that progress. We're going to have to go back to square one. So you are so much better off by taking an extra week or 10 days or three weeks to hit these things in the right order and progress the way that you should off of these criteria that we keep talking about versus just like, oh, it's been three days and this piece of paper that I got says I don't have to use crutches anymore, so I'm not going to use crutches. Like. I promise it will take longer if you skip these steps. So awesome. Let's um, kind of switch gears. So talked about a bunch of different exercises and I think you mentioned a little bit in the introduction that there's obviously more that people can be doing this phase than just doing quad range of motion um, and gait retraining stuff. So what just some quick examples of other things that people might be able to do um, during this phase just exercise-wise, whether it be lower body, upper body, whatever the case may be. Yeah, so pretty much I'll start with away from the lower body and we'll kind of get to it. Upper body related stuff, do as much as you possibly can that's safe. So it might be sitting down so you're not putting any weight through that leg and doing whatever you can. This might be a time where using machines, if you've never used machines before, can be a great place to start because it allows you to train if that's what you were doing before and keep your body as conditioned as possible which conditioning kind of gets in the same sense of doing as much as you can, again, that is safe and accessible to you. So sometimes it's doing an upper body bike, or maybe I might sit down and grab those battle ropes and I might whip them around quite a lot and do some intervals with that, but something to get me maybe a little sweating and get my heart rate up so I can do as much as I can and still feel like an athlete, even though I just had surgery relatively recently. Um, core strengths should be involved too, but again, finding ways you can do them safely that don't overstress your knee, which there is millions of ways to do that. Um, and then don't ignore your other leg too. So there is some like isolated single leg stuff you can do, again, safely. Machines are a great place to start. There's probably some weight bearing stuff you can do too and strategies that we work on and figure out. But then even on top of that, you're doing more in these stages than just these simple things of getting your quad to work, focusing on range of motion and just walking. We're probably focusing on your squat pattern, if your hinge pattern, if you were in the weight room of getting back to those things again, learning how to go up and down stairs again, which is a strength activity in and of itself too. So there's a lot we're trying to expand on, but basically it's trying to build the foundation that when it's safe to do so, we can hit a, a quote unquote strength and conditioning program that's specific to your knee rehab off the box. So. If you had never squatted in your life before, we're going to learn how to do a good squat pattern and use your legs as evenly as possible and learn how to do other hinge patterns so we can work our hips and our hamstrings and our calves and all of those things. So I think it's a perfect time to learn these movement patterns 
or relearn the movement patterns even, build the blocks there, so then the next step, we can just hit the ground running and we don't have to relearn them in that next stage. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, it's huge. It's a good time to accumulate a lot of repetitions with relatively low weight to get familiar with stuff. Um, even that can become its own type of cardio to go through um, some of these circuits with much higher reps than we'd normally do. Um, but really good for the motor learning aspect, can get the heart rate going and just get you up and moving. Even that's gonna, when we start talking about swelling and stuff, just getting your heart rate elevated. Um, we've had this, I'm gonna change gears from ACL stuff, but with some of our Tommy John athletes, um, getting them to just go for a walk has helped with their elbow swelling so much just to get their blood circulating and pumping. Obviously for coming out of ACL surgery, it's probably not gonna be a walk for exercise but doing some other types of exercise is going to help get blood circulating and gonna help get fluid out of that knee as well. So everything really goes together. Um, any exercises that should really stay away from in this phase? Depth jumps. Yeah, like anything yeah. I was gonna say really, impact. <laughs> anything that's really intense, like impact is a broad category. Because if you think if you're learning how to walk, we probably shouldn't be jumping and skipping. <laughs> so those are taking way too many steps. So it's really high intensity things in terms of, I would say both load and impact and speed. Yeah. Is those are never our goals at this time because we have much simpler things we need to check off first before we can move on to that next step. Um, purely because they can be irritable, they can be risky to some degree, and we don't want to do anything that sets you so far back. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think if you're listening to the pain um, as a guideline, it's hard to go super wrong um, there are definitely risks like mm -hmm. this graft is new there is a failure strength there are screws that are holding it in place right these are things that we have to respect and we have to let heal so um, I'd say anecdotally we see two categories here we see um, people that do a lot of really dumb stuff that we're always having to like pull back like no you cannot go and like walk a 5k um, or uh, you know, uh, like other things like that, um, that want to go swim and water ski and to like things like this that we're having to constantly pull back. The flip side is we, I think we probably see this more of people that are scared that we're really having to encourage to continue moving, mm -hmm. um, and like pushing like, no, it's okay to bend your knee. It's not going to break. It's not going to fall apart. You're not going to tear ACL by doing a simple squat, mm -hmm. right? And just trying to build up confidence and encouraging them to do more. So, mm -hmm. um, awesome. Last one, um, any big risks during this phase that we need to watch out for? I think it's the things that we've mostly hit on is, is your body tolerating what you are doing in that stage and how you can monitor that yourself are gonna be pain levels, it's gonna be the amount of swelling that you might have, or it might be the quality at which you're doing a certain thing. So say for example, you got to the point that you could get a really good quad contraction and you could lift your leg off the ground really solid and not let it bend, or we call like a straight leg raise. And you know, days go on, you keep trying to do more and more and you retest that and you notice that it's a little bit painful, there's a bit of a bend to it. So you've, you've quote unquote regressed, which ups and downs do happen, but if that's happening consistently, that you can no longer do something that was easy at some point, now you need to re-look at what's going on that's causing it. Because maybe you're doing too much, maybe you're doing too little, maybe there's a certain thing you're doing that is more stressful to the, your knee that you think. So it's always having these little tests or big rock things that you can go back on and look at, am I 
doing better than I was before? Is it the same or is it even worse? Yeah, I think that's really good. I think my only big risks, but the two that we that I worry about the most and we sleep over right after surgery, as long as your sutures are in, we really worry about infection. Um, so just being really diligent, A, monitoring it, B, keeping the area clean, making sure you're keeping your hands clean as you're doing stuff that, um, you know, just we are very on top of that and want to look for any signs of that as quickly as possible and do something about it earlier than later if it does happen, um, because that can be significant um, if that ends up happening. So um, that's one. And the second one is, you know, your graph is not fragile. We have to be cautious, but it's not, you know, when you're under surgery, before your doctor woke you up, they took you through full range of motion. They they ligament tested your knee and pulled on it. They they did things like it's not like we can't tear ACL with our hands or anything like that. But we do have to be cautious of um, falls like in Wisconsin um, in the winter. We have ice. We have like I've seen um, people that miss a curb while they're on their crutches or you know, catch a slippery spot at school on their crutches and have falls and stumbles. So it's like those big kind of accidents, quote unquote, which they do happen. There's just at some point nothing you can do about it. But those are the things that would have the risk of your ACL not being strong enough to sustain at this early phase. So just kind of extra cautious with uneven surfaces, stairs, being in large crowds, um, and then up here in the winter, like, that makes me lose sleep more than anything else when we've got ACL kids on crutches. Um, so wear your brace, do all the things that your surgeon tells you to do, just make smart decisions on that. Yeah, that fully, fully agree. So, all right, I think we uh, I think we definitely, you know, nailed this first eight weeks or 10 weeks, 12 weeks, whatever the case may be. So from surgery all the way up through starting to work on and get back to walking um, with a normal pain-free gait pattern. Um, hopefully you guys are able to take a lot away from some of these do's and don'ts um, and you're able to get a lot out of this podcast if you have a friend that's going through ACL rehab we would sincerely appreciate you sharing this with with them there's a lot of um, people that don't have full information and there's still a lot of myths around ACL rehab it's really one of our passions is trying to educate just put out high quality um, factual evidence-based information to help people with this injury it's something that both Brett and I are really passionate about helping um, our ACL rehabbers. So uh, we'd always appreciate it if you would share with a friend or teammate that you think might benefit from this in the early phase of their ACL rehab. And uh, if you have any specific questions about your case, feel free to reach out to us directly on Instagram, shoot an email into our website, fill out the contact form. We'd uh, love to try to chat with you a little bit more and help uh, with any of your individual questions as we go. So Thank you, Brett, for the time today, and thanks to everyone that's listening, and we'll see you guys in the next episode.